0: Good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to episode one of season two of the Dollar Dog Sunday Sports Podcast, presented by Tailgater Sports Media Company. No bullshit takes with a bite. I'm your host, Brian Pulaski. Along with me are my co-hosts, k Dog, Dr. Young Buckets, Esquire, Kevin Pulaski, Cousin Joe, and Glenn Coco Barnett. No Mutt dog today, boys, but we shall talk Chicago's sport in his honor. Bears have their best start in years. The White Sox have fired manager Ricky Retteria. The ALCS and NLCS went to seven games wrapping up tonight, and the Dogs will be taking a a little bit of a a detour into the golf universe, which we haven't talked about very often, Uh, before getting into our brand-new segment, which will get your trivia buff buzzing. Uh, This should be a hell of a segment. I think people are going to be excited about it. And Season 2 is is going to be full of Chicago sports and Laugh Boys. Uh, So let's get this thing fucking going. Uh, the Bears uh, now have one of their best starts in recent years, and uh, after the Bears pull out a 20 to 19 victory against Tom Brady and the Bucks, they bounce back and beat up a wounded Carolina Panthers, 23 to 16. Joe, I mean, what do we say today in, in today's Bears victory?
1: Yeah, um, this was a good Bears win. Uh, Panthers aren't that bad of a team; they're pretty decent. Bridgewater usually has good luck against the Bears, but we seem to shut them down today. Uh, kept them under 200 yards passing. Um, Mike Davis I was worried about because he's been playing really well and he's the one who had the touchdown against us so I mean uh, we've been struggling against the run this year I think our pass defense has been pretty stellar Uh, I think the corners are performing very well and Jalen Johnson and Kyle Fuller Uh, Nick Foles today um, had a 70.2 quarterback rating 198 yards a touchdown and interception that interception was very bad that was probably the first Interception I, this year, I would blame on Foles because all of his other interceptions hit receivers' hands, but this one was just, you got to throw it away. He was back, backpedaling the whole time, getting pressured, uh, and he just threw up a duck, and you just can't do that. That looked like a missed Trubisky throw to me. Um, and then I have to point out Allen Robinson today. The, I, I love the guy. I think he's one of the best receivers the Bears ever had, but as a guy who keeps complaining about not getting his money, He's been dropping some key passes. There was that one final drive that the bears had before Deandre Houston Carson picked off to end the game. Um, We could have gotten the first down right in Al Robinson's hands and he dropped it. So it's just the guy does perform well, but he has a lot of key drops that kind of just is a killer. And you can't have that out of your number one receiver. And that's not the guy I would want to pay if he can't make the big play. Um, Darnell Mooney impressed today. Uh, you know, that guy finds a way to get open. His separation ability is unbelievable. And uh, my boy from Notre Dame, Colt Komet, finally got his first career NFL touchdown, which was a beautiful throw by Foles. Um, I want to keep that guy in the mix. Keep him and Graham in the mix. you got to find ways to get it to those guys in the red zone, and you'll be successful, I think.
2: I agree with Joey. Uh, on mostly everything The defense was amazing. Kyle Fuller, this is the second week in a row now where he's lit someone up. And it's as good, as clean as it can get. And it gets flagged. I mean, which leads me into the next one. The refs are fucking terrible. I I cannot stand it. Like God forbid somebody hits hard. It's gotta be a flag because you know, it was a hard hit. It wasn't like an ankle tackle or anything. It's gotta be flagged. Cause why, why would somebody hit that hard? I just, I don't get these refs. They need to get some new training or something. It's, it's bothering the hell out of me. Um, the, also, the PI on Johnson in the end zone, where it was like a 50 50 ball and Bridgewater threw it like two yards out of bounds. They're in a hand fight. Like, if the receiver can put a hand on the defensive back's hips, then he can hold it too. Like, that's a hand fight. There's, there's nothing there. Like uh, the announcer said, you know, the defensive back is just as entitled to the ball as the receiver. You know, if it's a 50 50 ball, he's just, I don't know, these refs are killing me. They weren't getting calls all day. Um, but the defense was just so locked down. I also think Montgomery is having a great year for the kind of help that he's getting, which is zero. No way blocked for him. Um, he would probably be like a top receiver basically anywhere else. I mean, the the run game has to be there. Um, but other than that, I, I agree with Joey on everything. You know, Allen Robinson's got to make those key catches. Nick Foles, I mean, what the fuck was that? Your defense gets a... Huge turnover, and then you just do that. I mean, that's terrible. Like you said, just throw the ball away. But impressed with the win, you know, what are we, five and one now? So I'm pretty happy with it.
0: Five and one after today. Um, you, talk, you talk about David Montgomery's year and what he's been able to accomplish with a substandard offensive line. Uh, it's amazing that we are able to get any kind of uh, run yards early in a game, which you saw in the first half. I think we had a total of 12. Um, but to, to get anything going offensively in the run game has been a struggle all year because of our our ineptitude to get guys off the line of scrimmage in that uh, field of play. Um, it, it's caused uh, Nick Foles some issues, obviously, with some rush passes and throws, some bad balls he probably shouldn't have thrown. Um, but this run game has to ramp up. Otherwise, you come, become one-dimensional. I just don't see there being a lot of uh, success down the line for this Bears team.
1: Yeah, you guys talk about this offensive line. Why the hell is Rashad Coward in the game? That guy has never been good. I, I, I don't know, understand what the fascination of Nagy is with Rashad Coward. It's just, I mean, you got Alex Bars from Notre Dame, who in my opinion did not have a bad game against the Bucks. Yeah, he let a couple rushes through, but I think Coward is terrible in run blocking, and most of the pressure came from that left guard spot. And, you know, you can't put a guy like that in. I, I hope we see Alex Barr's against uh, uh, the Rams next week. But, you know, the offensive line has to step up. Leno's got to step up. Leno's just his, – his penalties kind of kill us. Um, you know, I think the next draft you got to go offensive line heavy or try to find some free agents like you did with Jermaine Fetty. Um, You guys mentioned Montgomery. I do like Montgomery. I think he, he doesn't get used enough and that goes to uh, Nagy's inability to have a run game. I don't think he does enough counter or misdirection. I think Nagy has some questionable plays. So, um, yeah, we need, we need to get that play calling better, go heavy on offensive line drafting and free agency in the offseason.
2: Bridging off of Nagy's plays, I mean, I totally agree. You know, when Montgomery gets the ball, you're not tossing it outside. There's no mix-up. It's usually just like half dive. And he's getting hit at the line of scrimmage like almost all the time, and he's still coming out with six yards. And, you know, all they all they need to do is just, like, split them out, go on a gun, spread out the defense or something. Because every time they run the ball, they go under center, and they they just load 10 in the box. And then it's just – it's hard for Montgomery to do anything. So, there's definitely something to be said about the run game. It might not be just the offensive line. I think the coach needs to set them up for success as well. And, um, like, on, on goal line, they couldn't get in the end zone. Like, toss the ball outside. They're all in the B gaps and A gaps. Like all you need to do is do like a jet sweep or something, like get them outside. But you know, you just keep doing half back dive, and that's definitely not something I want to see all the time.
0: So I mean, we look. We you know we're making a lot of uh, judgments on the play so far. I mean, this team is five and one. Uh, some some people may call it lucky, which I mean, arguably some of these last minute finishes have been quite. Um, on our side as far as uh, luck goes. But when you look at this team and you see what they've been able to accomplish, uh, you know, coming, coming from a, a, a starting quarterback for two weeks that, that brought a team, you know, to two and O and then obviously had some, uh, some success, some successes late in those games. And then you have a complete turnover because he's not the guy for this offense. He is not the guy that's going to get the job done. And you have a complete change in offensive uh, production with Nick Foles. And now it seems like things are starting to click in place. So even though these wins have been nitty gritty and, and have come down to defensive uh, defensive efforts uh, for most of them, uh, th- this team doesn't seem like it's, it's very far away from being a contender this year. Um, I mean, we're looking at a team that that's starting off better than it has probably in the last five to ten years. I mean, this this team's had that kind of season so far. Um, I guess I wanted to touch on the other side of the field. You know, you look at the Carolina Panthers and what they were able to uh, accomplish with a guy like uh, uh, Mike um, Davis. And, and, uh, you know, you look at their injury with Christian McCaffrey in which he became the highest paid running back in the history of professional football. They stick a guy like Mike Davis in and have had nothing but success from the guy. So I guess it's a little bitter uh, if you're a Carolina Panthers fan looking at that, but, uh, I really wanted to ask you guys, where does this Bears team fall apart if we lose somebody? Where, where is that big spot in which if we end up getting an injury in that position,
1: this team could fall apart at any moment? I mean, I, I, first I thought that James Daniels' injury was a big part about, you know, you need, James Daniels is key to the offensive line. Obviously, you saw today, we don't have a guard that can replace him because you got Coward letting guys through like every play. Um, so offensive line, another key injury in the offensive line, say, I think white hair would be the next biggest injury if he gets hurt. So that's the kind of guy I don't want to get hurt. Obviously I don't think I want Al Robinson to get hurt, but in, you talk about Mike Davis, Brian, we had him last year. We had a guy like Mike Davis. You see the talent he has, you see what he can do. And he did that with the Seahawks before he came on the bears, but he didn't do shit with the bears. That tells me that Nagy doesn't know how to use the running backs. It's, it, it, it's unbelievable. Like, so I, I think Montgomery if Montgomery doesn't get the recognition he deserves and he goes to another team guarantee that guy's lights out on the next team he goes to it's just you know we need a run game and offensive line is a big part of it so I think to answer your question if we had a huge injury it would be Cody Whitehair particularly and uh, I think a Fetty would kind of be a big injury too but I'd say Whitehair more so and uh, and probably Robinson is next
2: for me, the big injuries would come from the defense. I think if Hicks goes down, you got no run game, run game uh, defense, and then in the secondary, you know Eddie Jackson. I saw him go down; he kind of limped off for a second. That scared the hell out of me. And uh, and Kyle Fuller. Those three guys are kind of like the heart of your defense right now, and they've been locking people up every single week. And without the defense, I think a lot of people are right. This team is like two and three, or maybe even one and four. I think it's totally flipped. Without this defense, you know, I I mean, how many touchdowns did the Bears have today? Two? And then like three field goals. They need they need to get in the end zone, man. And you know, the defense just keeps giving them opportunities, opportunities, opportunities. So many turnovers today. Um, for me, the the defense is by far the most important part of this team right now because if if their starters go down, then I, I don't think we can recover from that.
3: I mean, you guys kind of said it all and touched it all on already. <clears throat> uh, my biggest thing would be, you know, if you lose somebody on that defense, like Kev was saying, uh, I'm, I'm going with, you know, Khalil Mack. You get lose anybody in that sen- secondary, Eddie Jackson, mostly Kyle Fuller who looks like a – absolute stud as of recent. I mean, is he not the hardest hitting corner in the league right now? I mean, Jesus Christ, the last two weeks, nearly decapitated guys. And like you were saying, Kev, I don't understand flags flying because people are getting hit too hard. The game is getting too soft. I mean, it's football. You're supposed to be fucking hitting people. I I, I don't understand it. Uh, Going back to the Bears, I mean, another week, another week is a victory because of Bears defense. They cannot continue to lead on this bears defense because I mean, that offense isn't doing anything. And I'm going to say it again. I said it a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, take the playbook out of Nagy's hand. I mean, he's proven it week in and week out. He has his guy. He still hasn't a quarterback. He still cannot produce on the offensive side We we cannot score. I, I mean, it's time it's you need to find somebody hand that playbook off start focusing on the head coaching job because you might not have this come next year if you continue to squeak out victories because once we start getting into these bigger games you cannot continue to lean on this defense that are going to be out there most of the game and your offense is going to continue to go three and out three and out maybe have a five minute series you know three and out it's just it's frustrating to watch you get something going on it
0: well you, you know you, you hit you hit it around right the head there too. Um, you know, these bigger games are are coming to the the full front. Um, And you you look, it's not a bold statement to say that the Green Bay Packers obviously are going to give you a big game at the end, two big games at the end of the year here. Um, But those are the games that I think are going to be the test for this team. You know, we we beat up on on lesser teams. uh, Out of the three weeks I can think of right now, you get the Giants, you get the Lions, you got uh, Carolina, all teams that obviously are going to be Uh, big contenders this year for anything let alone a Super Bowl Um, but you look at what the Bears have done uh, uh, against these better teams uh, such as uh, Tampa Bay even Indy Indianapolis is not a bad team it's definitely a team that uh, has holes in it but you see what they did on defense as opposed to their offensive side of the ball I mean you're 100% right I mean this team has flipped itself Uh, but you know I can't remember the last time the Bears had a real dominant offense and didn't have a dominant defense you know it's it's always been that way so the Bears uh, look to go to six and one next week against LA uh, definitely a tough matchup uh, you got some uh, some defensive uh, weapons over in LA uh, including Aaron Donald who is gonna try to wreak havoc um, It's gonna be an interesting game um, gotta get to go off early and I'm excited for that and we will be recapping that game next Sunday as well uh, but we should talk a little bit about the Notre Dame football team that continues to Win game, game after game, uh, now move to number four in the country after a 12-7 victory against Louisville. Uh, what do we think of this team? I mean, it's an interesting conversation we could have. Uh, you have people underperforming on this Notre Dame team, and there's an argument that the Irish haven't played anybody of substantial, substantiality yet. Um, but I guess I'm going to ask you guys, what do you guys think uh, this team you know, can end up doing? I mean, where is where, the line drawn? with this team is this a a bowl team or is this a team that could possibly win the national title
3: i mean this uh as of right now i mean yes sitting at 4-0 3-0 in acc um i'm they have not done nothing really to impress me as of late yes they're getting wins but uh like the bears are getting some ugly wins still count as in the dubs but it's not making me feel too good as a fan um their rushing game um has continued to uh, be dominant. Uh, the offensive line continues to, uh, other than, you know, Ian Book getting sacked, you know, a handful of times, uh, ha- has been uh, pretty solid all week or all week, all year. And, uh, the defense continues to, I mean, be one of the top defenses in the national or, uh, the, uh, NCAA. And I mean, these guys are just unbelievable on the defensive side, uh, eight minutes on offense in the first half and just holding, uh, Louisville to 12 points I thought was outstanding.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, this team, it it reminds me of a lot of Notre Dame seasons where, you know, if you go back to 2012, you know, have a great season, don't really play uh, too many big teams, no Power Five teams, then you go out and play Alabama in the championship and you get fucking embarrassed. You know, this is kind of reminding me of that. This, don't get me wrong, Notre Dame is not a bad team, but they are not used to playing these Power Five schools, these playoff schools. And so, you know the offensive line is always going to be consistently good. I mean, I think that's just automatic. The run game is really working. Ian Book needs to bring it together. I've seen him overthrow a lot of balls, underthrow. He just needs to calm down. And yeah, when the pocket's collapsing, when they're bringing pressure, that's when you know somebody's open. So you kind of just got to stand in there and find, you know, there was a drag route that I saw that was open for about 10 minutes the entire play. He uh, just got to hit those, take what the defense gives you. Um, but yeah, this 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 team is reminding me a lot of previous years. They they really need to start playing some real teams to make a true judgment as to where they are. Because you know, after that game, to say that they're a number four school is is kind of questionable. And I and as a Notre Dame fan, I can definitely see why people are kind of hating on it.
1: Yeah, um, Notre Dame is just a typical another typical Notre Dame team, as Kevin was talking about. You know, Notre Dame always has a good defense every year, like they do this year. Um, and they also have good running game this year, um, that 23 and 25. I mean, they, they have a great running game. And I think Ian Book is a good runner as well, but I think Ian Book is also the weak spot of this team. I, I, I'm not a fan of him as a passer. Um, I, I'm not a fan of Reese as an offensive coordinator. I think he's a little too inexperienced. I mean, he's got to be like the youngest offensive coordinator I've ever seen. I, I, I feel like he just got out of college. You know what I'm saying? Like I thought I just watched him like a couple of years ago. But And he wasn't that successful, I don't think. But Notre Dame, Notre Dame's quarterback history, besides Joe Montana, I mean, Clausen, you got Clawson, who didn't work out. You got Kaiser, Brady Quinn. I mean, these guys are not NFL quarterbacks. None of them are. Um, but, you know, Ian Book, I think, fall, falls in that category. I think he's a good running college quarterback, but he's in – like, pocket-wise, he's self-destructs. He's not – I'm not a fan of Ian Buck, but I think the rest of the team is talented enough to be a top five team. But I think that weak spot is the quarterback spot, which is a huge, huge deal. And we gotta fix it. So while
0: we're on this topic, I gotta to ask you guys who's the most successful Notre Dame quarterback in our time? I mean you think Golson,
2: about Everett Golson.
0: What about what about Deshaun Kaiser? I mean, like there's only a few like, that I can go. remember getting real time. I would oh, say Everett. Kaiser and Golson. I mean
3: Claussen started his rookie year in uh, Carolina. I actually have a Jimmy Claussen. Ah, uh, Carolina Panthers jersey. <laughs> that very next year, they drafted Cam Newton, and uh, you know how that went out. And then he came up, and I mean, he he came up to the Bears for a couple years. He backed up, but I mean, he didn't do much. Brady Quinn, I mean, he was. I mean, he was a Brown. Says enough. He, there was nobody. I, I no one succeeds there.
0: Well, right.
2: the, the thing is, though, you don't have to be a great NFL player to be a great college player. I think it's very two very different things. I mean, a lot of guys really do well in college, and then they just don't figure it out. Like AJ McCarron, where the fuck is that guy? I, he's I, been backing up somebody right now.
1: I agree, Matt Kevin. You know, if I'm an NFL team, the the player kind of players I look from Nord Dame is a guy from defense, an offense lineman, and a tight end. Nord Dame produces great NFL tight ends. You okay. know, Kyle Rudolph, Tyler Eifer, I think Cole Komet's up and coming. We got like they got some good tight ends. Their offensive lines always good, and they have a good defense. But I would never ever pick a quarterback from Notre Dame. Those guys are never successful. Joe Montana is the exception, but you know who's going to beat Joe Montana? You know, um, yeah,
0: yeah. I, I mean, Notre Dame is uh, as far from its its heyday uh, with you know the all time greats coming out of one school. Um, but you know the 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 whole college football scene has changed a lot. Uh, you're getting guys out of uh, smaller schools who are doing bigger things. Not that that wasn't the case, you know, 20 years ago, but it was less prevalent. Now it seems like you can get a guy from, you know, Pitt, um, you know, or or, or uh, the Big Ten to be an absolute – god in, in the league and it just seems like there's more and more people coming out of different uh schools to to produce in the nfl but you look at notre dame and their tight end uh, situation they, i don't think they've had a bad tight end in the last 10 years you talk about a factory an nfl factory for tight ends they're producing those guys like they they've got fucking dna there and they're just going to keep popping babies out and throw them out in the in the uniform man i mean they <laughs> Consistently, always have great tight ends, and it's it's crazy. Um, and Notre Dame is also a great place for offensive linemen. You look at um, the, the arguably the best offensive lineman in the league, uh, Kevin's favorite, uh, the Indianapolis Colts, uh, Quentin, Nelson. Nelson, Quentin, Quentin Nelson, Nelson, baby.
3: You got Zach I mean, he, Martin, Mike or uh, Nick Martin, Mike Martin. Yep. Yeah. Um, I mean, you just look
0: at the the offensive line. You know presence they've had over the last 10 years too and guys who have been really had really successful NFL careers um but yeah I mean you look at Notre Dame this year it's kind of uh it's a questionable season but it's also something you know I'd rather be 4-0 talking about you know a questionable season as opposed to being one and three or two and two or you know we're in a good spot it's just yeah we
2: we know that the standard is high we're just talking about whether we're a championship team or not or just a regular bowl game we know we're going to get a bowl game Notre Dame's you know regularly good but are we good enough to do the big one
3: I mean, we'll see in a a few weeks here, you know, we got Clemson coming up. That is uh, the only big test and we did come out and we're, I mean, lackluster and we get blown out, you know, by 70 points, like they fucking won, you know, this weekend. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is a real deal. I mean, that kid's unbelievable. Uh, Heisman candidate, I mean, putting up numbers, that is going to be the absolute test to see if, you know, Notre Dame belongs in that uh, category. What seeing the first few weeks, you know, it you come out like you have the first uh, few weeks, it's not gonna you know look very uh, good come up eighth week and uh, Clemson's you know putting up eighty to a hundred points against you.
2: Trevor Lawrence <laughs> going to the Jets and the Giants.
3: Oh God! Either way, it's, it, I feel so terrible for him. But what do one you thing understand? I wonder yeah. though,
2: the one thing I wonder though, is he gonna be able to play in tough conditions? He's he's grown up in Georgia and now he's at Clemson and is that in South Carolina? Correct. I mean, yeah. the guys never played in like snow or cold weather or anything. All right. That not, that, it actually does play kind of a factor. So, yeah, the guy's sure guy not a baby.
1: Crazy. I mean, the guy looks like uh, a woman trying to be a man with his hair.
3: <laughs> the real life sunshine. Sunshine. <laughs> I, I love the hair, but uh,
0: sunshine. The we, we, gotta, we we got we we got we got to talk. Um, we're talking about all this uh, these uh, these real teams making a step in the right direction. You talk about Notre Dame. Uh, trying to produce uh, more come this bull season, hopefully make a run for the the whole shebang. But you talk about the White Sox doing the same thing. Uh, they know that they've outgrown Ricky Renteria, and, and since our last episode, the Sox actually parted ways with the uh, former manager of the Chicago White Sox, while also parting with Don Cooper, uh, 18 years as a pitching coach. Uh, just, you know, you see what happened to this bullpen this year and how grossly um, – misused every every pitching position was this year as far as um situationally and just bullpen control i mean this team was a fucking disaster especially towards the end of the year costed them the division as well as the chance to maybe get into the american league championship series um, but the candidates they're looking at right now are aj hinch alex cora and tony la Russa. Um, they're all rumored at this point, but Tony La Russa has definitely gotten the most buzz, uh, Bob Nightingale, uh, as well as a few other prominent r- reporters have said that, uh, Rick Hahn and Jerry are very interested in bringing Tony back. Um, it, it doesn't make the most sense to me, but it, again, it sounds like a Rick move or it sounds like a Jerry move. We got to talk a little bit about, uh, what Rick said in the meeting, uh, a week ago. Uh, he wanted recent championship experience. So I looked at these three managers, and I guess they all checked the box. Tony La Russa's last World Series coming in 2011. Uh, still something uh, pretty recent, I, I guess. Um, but I just wanted to talk about the pros and cons of each one of these guys uh, real quick here. But uh, A.J. Hinch, uh, who obviously was a part of that 2017 Astros team that got caught uh, during one of the most scandalous moments in the history of Major League Baseball, definitely leaving – uh, a question of integrity as, as far as the championships have gone from 2017 on. But A.J. Hinch, his pros for me would be his championship experience, uh, a great relationship with free agent George Springer, a guy who I could definitely see in right field for us next year. And uh, he's been very successful in his career thus far. There's not much to complain about with A.J. Hinch's uh, track record. So you look at that and you say, yeah, he's a pretty good fit. Here are the cons, though, of having A.J. Hinch come to Chicago. You've got the 2017 Astros scandal. There's no way around it. He's going to have baggage for the rest of his career, even as a manager that, you know, obviously they were talking about uh, Carlos Beltran taking over in the clubhouse and becoming the player manager and kind of pushing A.J. Hinch to the side, which for two reasons I find that scary. One, because this guy knew that it was happening. And number two, because he didn't step up and say anything to a guy like Carlos Beltran to move out of the way and let him coach his players. I mean, that's, that's, you know, having a backbone is definitely uh, something that we've been looking for as far as South side managers. We've had glorified babysitters over the last few years now. Um, and, and the other thing I guess that I look at as a con with AJ Hinch is it just puts a target on the back of, of these White Sox players. I think you having uh, AJ Hinch as your manager, you are ultimately saying I'm okay with getting in a fight today. I mean, that's what you have to be ready To do, I mean, this guy served a year of suspension, which is more than the rest of his counterparts, uh, you know, in the Astros organization have done. Um, But, but, you know, it's, it's something that we definitely need to uh, think about before jumping into a guy like AJ Hinch. Alex Cora, uh, similar uh, pros, uh, championship manager, family ties with the White Sox. His brother Joe was a longtime uh, bench coach for the White Sox. And he's also bilingual, which I know uh, that's always a big uh, plus with our managers uh, due to their uh, large majority of, of Latin players on this team. Uh, the cons being the Red Sox scandal, which, you know, is equally as, you know, is disgraceful as what the Astros did. It just was in a different situation, but the Red Sox were using uh, technology to boost themselves in the right direction in that 2018 championship. Um, the technolo- technology uh, used in the Red Sox scandal was a little different than what the Astros did, but uh, both were equally as, as bad to the game. Uh, and the other con you have to look at with Alex Cora is he was a part of both these scandals, a bench coach on that 2017 Astros team who took part in apparent, che- in apparent cheating, which, you know, it's been reported. So we got to see how that goes. You know, you got a guy that's cheated twice now and, and had no remorse for it. Um, and then you look at the last candidate with Tony La Russa. Um, the pros are, are, are off the chart. Um, you know, you got a hall of fame championship manager who knows how to handle a bullpen and was a pioneer of relief pitching and handling bullpens back in the, you know, the eighties and nineties. He was the guy who decided that throwing a guy out there for an inning was worthwhile. Um, but the cons you look at and you, you just, you hit yourself in the head and you go, How am I trying to talk myself into a 76-year-old man who's out of touch with today's game, come back and and try to coach a a team of of 20-year-olds? I've been trying to talk myself through it and try to make it okay, but it seems like we may end up with Tony LaLuce in the 2021 season, which I don't think is the end of the world. I want to tell you Sox fans out there. That isn't a horrible thing. We could, have got, we could have gone way worse is what I'm trying to say. But, you know, you, you get a guy like Tony larusso who's had as much success as he has uh, and has been a, stepped away from the game for so long, it, it, it makes you wonder. Um, and the other thing I wanted to point out about Tony larusso is he's just been a really good friend with controversy over the last five to ten years. Uh, he said some stuff that was uh, socially irresponsible, um, which I think will hurt uh, relationships coming to the team um with players of color and and players of uh you know uh, you know uh Latin heritage I mean he said some things that probably won't fend well for him uh his first weeks uh but Tony LaRusso is a lovable guy people seem to always get along with him so I don't worry about that as much and uh the one thing I do like about Tony LaRusso as well is he's absolutely loyal to his guys he always has been uh whether you're Mark, Mark McGuire or, or Harold Baines He's a guy that will always stand in your corner. And when guys need you the most, it seems like a little has stepped to their side to make sure that they got what they needed. So it's definitely something to think about. A lot of options. Joe, I mean, I know you've been keeping up with this. Who's your pick? And, and, and where do you think the White Sox are going to go with this managerial pick?
1: Well, first of all, hallelujah, that sleepy Ricky is fired. That guy was god-awful. See you later. Don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out, you orange slice and give fucker. fucker. Um, but... If you're, out of these, if you're picking out of these three managers, I want A.J. Hinch. I mean, I think that between A.J. Hinch and Cora, the scandals are going to scare off a guy like Jerry and Rick. They, they probably don't want that controversy. Um, but, you know, if you want to win and you want a player to come along with him, I'd say A.J. Hinch because he'll take George Springer with him. You get a right fielder and a manager that has experience of winning – and I mean, I know it was cheating, but he still won a World Series. I mean, he's a winner. Um, Tony Larusa being the favorite isn't so. Any, any, anybody is better than Rick Renteria. Anyone's better than Ricky. I, I'll take Larusa over him any day.
0: We can agree on that.
1: But the thing is, uh, Tony Larusa, like you said, Brian, he might be a little past his time, which is what I'm worried about. But the guy also has experience in winning games. I mean. You know, he could probably turn this team, like, make this team a winner. Like, we, we already have the talent, and he could probably give him that extra push. But if I so were to J- pick, i pick AJ Hinch.
0: Joe, like, I, I 100% agree with every point you made. And what I mean, what I, I just want to clarify, what I mean by out of touch, you know, we had a guy like Don Cooper who recently just figured out what the Rap Soto machine was in 2020. <laughs> uh, so I, I want to make sure that we're using safer metrics. I want, I, I'm not saying we have to rely on. On numbers and stats for everything but at one point or another we need to move ahead with the rest of baseball you look at the dodgers the dodgers have been in the playoffs for the last four years and have reached two world series on the verge of reaching their third in four years tonight that team relies heavily on sabermetrics they have a sabermetrics team that is almost highly as paid as some of their front office workers that team has moved ahead with the times, and they continue to win. So there's something to be said about success in Sabermetrics. So maybe the guy that tells everybody to do the towel drill for two hours and then tells them that the spin on their curveball is only going to accelerate with long toss, maybe that guy had to go. Maybe we have to move ahead, you know? And I look at Tony La Russa and I see a 76-year-old man, and I wonder, is that going to change, or are we just in it for another – five years of this shit where we don't get ahead and we don't use technology to better our team.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, you got to be kind of with the times. I know that every, every sport is kind of uh, advancing technologically, especially, um, you know, you got to be with it. I, I just think Toy La Russa might be a little too old school, nothing wrong with old school. I think the Sox do need a guy who's a little bit old school, you know, get, get them going. Um, but you know, the thing about La Russa, he, he will hold guys accountable. He will get on their ass. Like he, he will be stern. Which is what I which is what I like. But I mean, when he becomes too old school, a lot of players won't relate to that. So that's you gotta have the players get along with the manager while being stern. I know there's a thin there's a thin gray area in that between that, but um I I just think A. J. Hench will fit that mold better than Larusa. Will if the what, Sox hire LaRusa, will I will I be pissed? No, I won't be because the guy has a winning record as a manager and he's won a World Series and you know, anything to step up from that clown we had. But, yeah, A.J. Hinch is by far my favorite. I think you need to go after him. And then, like, say if he says no and maybe another team offers him a contract, then, yeah, yeah, I'd get LaRusso for sure. He'd probably be – I think is a better option than core in my opinion. But A.J. Hinch is the best.
0: A.J. Hinch is absolutely on my wish list. He's number one. Um You, you look at, like I said, the track record that's been – Pretty impeccable in his, his short career. Right now, as a manager, he's had nothing but success, uh, taking a team that was rebuilding in Houston and, and getting them to a, not only one World Series but multiple. Uh, you know, whether whether cheating was involved or not, uh, it's something to be said about a manager who has brought a team with success and has had the experience in the postseason, uh, bringing them over to a, a, a team of young guys who had their first taste and are hungry for the rest. I mean, it's a it's a good idea. It just it's the best fit. There's, there's no way around it. Uh, Glenn, I wanted to get your uh, perspective on this. Obviously, you're a Northsider, and you, you, you've seen what the Cubs were able to do in 2020 with David Ross at the helm. Uh, maybe not offensively where you guys wanted to be, but a lot of great pitching, and, and it's still a team that won the NL Central. Uh, where do you think the White Sox would be best suited in, in, in getting a new manager? Would it be with A.J. Hinch, Alex Cora, or Tony La Russa? Your thoughts.
3: Um, I'm, I'm going to agree with you guys. Uh, Hinch is the best option. Um, I mean, can win granted cheating or not, which will always be an asterisk in my opinion and I will never get over and I will never forget. Um, but I mean, it, La Russa, I think is way, way out of date. And I mean, dudes in his mid seventies, what does he want to do coming back, you know, to manage a team, it, save your heart, bud, you know, you used it all during the nineties, uh, I'm going to throw Zinger in there, and I I don't know if you guys thought of this. I personally hate the fucking man, but, I mean, we brought back David Ross. What about bringing A.J. Pruszynski? Woo! Has known any interest? I mean, I I keep seeing ties back and forth in the little that I read, you know, and, I, I mean, I, I keep seeing his name getting tossed back in there. Is that a, a possibility whatsoever? I mean, you know, I mean, as a north side, I mean, David Ross, I mean, granted, not the outcome that we wanted but i mean you got a fucking catcher who i've said you know said before is the absolute smartest person on the field and the baseball iq of a catcher is astronomical to any other position in my opinion and i mean is he a good fit for this team
0: i i think so and i know joey wants to talk about this so i'm gonna let him uh take the floor but i just wanted to say uh rick actually uh i think they reached out to aj and they told him why they weren't going to pick him for the position. I don't understand why they were so quick to let him go uh, out, of that, out of that role. Uh, I shouldn't say let him go, but to drop him out of the consideration. Um, I guess Rick and Jerry are looking for somebody that has World Series experience, which the man did play in one, but he never coached in one, so I guess that's the reason for it. Why um, is that the only qualification? I'm not sure uh but Joe I I know you love this pick I know that's what you wanted from the get-go uh I'm not against it I just don't think that's what's going to come you know to the forefront
1: yeah Glenny. what I mean you mentioned AJ that just got my heart racing I love AJ he is my number one pick out of anybody if he was available and I think if you give him the right contract he will sign to be a manager for the White Sox he loves Chicago he would definitely do it I think but he is kind of comfortable being a commentator as well. He likes that. I mean, who wouldn't? But, um, you know, if we were able to get A.J., definitely my first choice over any of the other three managers. I know he's got no managing experience, but you said it. You know, former catchers make good managers. Those guys are probably the smartest position players in the game. And A.J., out of, among all of them, has always been a genius. You know, he's called good games. He knows he would be a great p- uh, pitching coach, too, I think. But um, you know, I think AJ would be awesome. I, uh, Brian, I did read up on that. They said Rick Hahn wasn't going to go for him. Rick Hunt wants somebody with experience. I mean, then I get that. I get that. But you know, if you know, if it's the right opportunity, I I would love to get AJ. I think AJ would be perfect for this team. I th-
0: I think he's a I think he's a less baggage option than the two men that have been to the World Series, and you don't have to wheel Tony Larusa out in his wheelchair. I mean. You're getting an opportunity to get a guy who says, I'm interested in the job. I mean, he, he currently has come out and said, I'm interested. They called him and told them why they weren't hiring him, uh, apparently, but it, it, it makes zero sense. Anybody, we can all agree, anybody is going to be better than Rick. Uh, one of Rick's biggest downfalls this year was using Garrett Crochet in that game three and blowing his elbow out, uh, which we now have found out that Crochet does not need Tommy John which is a huge sigh of relief uh, for everyone. Uh, but it's a flexor strain to the elbow, which is an injury not to be fucked around with, but it's something that uh, he'll be able to push through. Um, before we keep talking about the rest of the White Sox options and the managerial position, I do want to talk about the exciting things that are happening in baseball. Uh, the NLCS and the ALCS are both moving to uh, Game 7. The Rays, um, you know, moving on to the World Series last night. Uh, the Rays absolutely exemplify the importance of pitching and defense. Joe, I know you've said that on the show before, but pitching and defense wins championships. If you look at a team like the Rays, that's what they are. And, you know, you get the timely uh, explosion from Randy uh, or, or Rosarena, which you had no fucking idea who, who this person was before he came into this postseason. And now he's the ALCS MVP as a rookie. A 382 batting average in the postseason, seven home runs, 21 hits. This guy is out of his fucking mind. He's playing he's playing like a third – he's playing like he's above himself. He's, he's not even in body. It's an out-of-body experience for this guy every time he comes up to the plate. Uh, you got clutch power from G-Man Choi, which watching him round the bases with that gut is one of my favorite parts of every ALCS game I've watched so far. And you got postseason Charlie Morton continuing to do postseason Charlie Morton things. A, a .57 ERA and three Ws this postseason going to be a guy that's going to be highly considered for the world series MVP. If they win, uh, this team has nothing but momentum going into the world series. And then you look at the other side of the bracket here and the Braves and Dodgers going into game seven tonight. And Mookie's great catch last night was probably the highlight of the game off the rocket of uh, Marcelo Zuna, a guy who's, uh, been no, uh, no stranger to showing people up this uh, postseason. A lot of, uh, a lot of shit uh, being talked about Marcel Zuna taking uh, selfies as he's rounding third base and all the other crazy shit that he's doing, which again, I have no problem with, but I also think you're putting a target on your back. And you got Ian Anderson and Dustin May going against each other tonight, both rookies, both studs. This pitching duel between the two young men who have made an immediate impact on their teams is going to be the highlight of tonight's game. And I think – whoever you see pitch the better game is obviously going to walk away with the W. I, I think these bullpens are so good that I don't think you're going to see a lot of give and take from those bullpens. So I think it's going to come down to these two rookies. Uh, the guys you got to watch for tonight, uh, you got to look at red hot Corey Seager, three thirty three batting average, six home runs and fifteen RBIs so far in the twenty twenty postseason. Uh, Mookie Betts, uh, who has been magnificent in the field and at the plate, has yet to hit a postseason home run. I think that will change tonight. Uh, you know, all, all your bookies are probably taking money from you right now. Uh, but Freddie Freeman has to have a big fucking game tonight. 2020 NL MVP, no doubt in my mind, he wins that award. He's got to have a big game tonight to put the Braves ahead, um, early on here. And Marcel Azuna, you know, he's had three bombs so far in the postseason and really uh, made impact every time he swung the bat. Um, I, I'm just, I'm excited to see this game take place because, this game is going to be fucking crazy. I really don't know who, I th- who will win this game. Uh, you've had Ian Anderson, who has had nothing but success thus far, and you have Dustin May, who is probably going to be a candidate for the Rookie of the Year in the National League. So, I mean, you guys, I don't know. You guys are watching this, right? Glenn, I mean, what, what have you thought so far of these games?
3: Well, I'm just, uh, I'm going to start it off and uh, I'm going to say it again. I'm thanking God that the Astros are not in a world series. I just, I'm, I'm going to keep saying it. They, they, fuck the Astros and that whole organization. I—I uh, I, Players I respected that I just, I, I'm disgusted that I fucking like those players now. So happy for the Rays. I mean, hot, I mean, pitching and defense, you got timely hitting. I mean, push right past it. Granted, I mean, they gave a three, oh, uh, lead back up and force the game seven, which was probably very uncomfortable. And uh, a team like Houston that has playoff experiment uh, experience, uh, granted how they got there. uh, I mean, you you can't count them out still. I mean, they're still professional baseball players and they got there at the end of the day, no matter what their stats look like. And um, I mean, you couldn't count them out. Glad the Rays pushed past them. Uh, Looking at tonight. I mean, fuck it's, it's hell of a series. Another, you know, uh, come back. Uh, another four is game seven. Dodgers are hot and can never count the Dodgers out no matter how bad their postseason looks. Uh, stats look, I mean, you got Corey Seeger, man possessed right now. Uh, Freddie Freeman, I mean, you got, you, you set it up, right? I mean, these guys are performing and playing at the highest level uh, and <clears throat> coming down to, you know, two rookies leaning on going into game seven. I mean, it, that's, it, you can't write it up better than that. I mean, it's going to be a fun thing to watch. These bullpens, as you said, are uh, they're great. They're great. I mean, Kenley Jensen, as much as he's aged and gotten older, still shut down. You got uh, Blake Trinan. I mean, it, I mean, who knows? I mean, Kershaw coming uh, out, out uh, sometime today in the game. I mean, granted, you, you know, he's not uh, the Kershaw of old, uh, but I mean, he's still Clayton Kershaw. Yeah,
0: it's, it's – honestly, it's a fucking toss-up tonight. I keep looking at this this roster on both sides of town uh, – you know, or both sides of the, uh, the game here, and, and you look at um, what the Dodgers have. I mean, you've got two MVPs out in the outfield who haven't, you know, haven't had uh, a, a dull moment. I mean, Cody Bellinger's uh, snag against uh, Tatis in the divisional series was fucking ridiculous. And then you have that gigantic moment with Marcelo Zuna with two men on driving a ball to the right center field wall and, and Mookie going up and grabbing it. So, I mean, you look at the star-studded uh, lineups on both sides here, and, and it's going to be just – it's going to be a boxing match, man. It's going to be a heavyweight fight. We're going to see who, who really has heart in this one. I think it's going to show you um, who, who really wants it this year. But the thing that I want to touch on is how quick people were to jump off the Corey Seager bandwagon and what that guy's been able to do in 2020. Uh, Corey Seager was a rookie of the year. Uh, a, a possible MVP candidate is what they believed him to be. And, God, has he made it tough on Freddie Freeman this year in the National League. I mean, he has proven every doubter and hater wrong this year. And to see him do what he's done in the postseason this year is is incredible. Um, he's always been a great defender. But to see him really pick it up with the bat this year has been – just short nothing short of remarkable i mean he had a season last year where you thought he's going to be a good everyday player but he's never going to be that star that he was back in 2015 and now you're seeing he's turning that shit back up and i mean he's been half the reason if not more that they've made it this far with all the long balls and the timely hits that he's had um yeah like i said it's just going to be a a game to watch and you're gonna have to see uh if you know some of these star-studded players come up and, and hit when they're supposed to and, and make the plays. It's going to come down to who wants to step up and be the hero. That's what it, that's what it comes down to. So um, talking about these games a little bit. We got to talk about a, an American hero, uh, Tim Katner. So this is the man that has reached uh, American news in the hearts of millions. Um, <laughs> he's a San Diego native. He had a message. To get across during the ALCS to the clown, uh, to the clowns uh, on the disgraced Astros, and this man used a megaphone from over two thousand yards away to scream at each of the Astros players to let them know that they were cheaters. Should we just canonize this man now or, or later? I mean, he's a saint at this point, right? I mean, this guy went to the trouble to make sure that he wrote, uh, read each and every player from the 2017 off through a megaphone to let them know that they were cheaters and they didn't belong here. The dedication of this man to sit outside the stadium up near his apartment, embarrassing each one of these men while they would inevitably lose Game 7 of the ALCS, is fucking legendary. You're a goddamn hero, Tim Katner.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, a guy with a, that's a guy with a lot of balls. And that's also <laughs> a guy who has a lot of time on his hands to just stay out there and research every single player and tell them they're shitty. But, um, yeah, that's, that's hilarious. I mean, it couldn't have happened to a better team. I... I mean, if you're going to cheat like that, you're going to get something like that to happen to you. And that, that guy is secretly a genius. So that's pretty that's pretty good. It was a pretty good read and a pretty fun video to watch, too. That guy is going to be a legend. I, I think mean, it's definitely I,
2: a I, little... All right, you go ahead. You go ahead. You go.
1: Sure.
3: I, I just think fucking... I mean... Th- Astros got off too easy this year with no fans in the stands and you know him to take it in his own hands I mean I love it I absolutely love it I wish he did it the entire game I mean it, say it a little bit I mean just to sit there and chirp I, it, it, that would be amazing but the fact that he did it and called everybody out I mean it needs to be done and if they think they got off the fucking hook yet I mean you got years and years in advance I cannot wait to go and see this in person and personally get in every single one of them's here I don't even care who's gonna be on the field they barring they uh allow fans in next year I will be in an Astros game somewhere around the Chicagoland area and I will fucking let them hear every single thing that I want to say and if I get kicked out for it I will you know I'll, I paid my ticket I guess I should be able to get what I, I should uh, feel free whatever I need to say this might be uh feel uh you know feel free to uh um uh, express my displeasure. With, you, can, uh, you, can do it
0: to, you can do it the Tim Katner way. You just got to go to Wrigley and go on like a rooftop and bring a megaphone. I, I mean, it's not a bad idea. I was
3: going to oh. say, you got to see if they're on the schedule next year. I don't think, think anybody's going to do rooftops. it the way he
0: did it
2: though. I don't think oh, anybody's going to do it the way he did it. He did it very politely. He just called them cheaters and how like it kind of, he loves baseball and they shame the game. He didn't really name call or anything <laughs> like that. I think, you know, trust me, these fans didn't forget. And once they, get the opportunity. I think it's going to be 10 times worse just because they've had to wait this long.
0: I mean, you saw what they did in spring training, right? I mean, spring training, they were fucking brutal, these guys. And then, you know, the world went to shit and everybody had to go home, but at spring training, they were bringing trash cans at every at bat. I mean, there was lines of people fucking waiting for Jose Altuve to come up. They were calling him a a smelly midget. They were saying, (laughs) you're fucking deserved. You know, you're a fucking pussy, whatever. They could say whatever they want to this guy, and, and and like people were clapping across the stadium for like these guys belittling people, and I'm like, all right, when well, is too far? You know, not uh, too far. But then you see the kind of reaction they had and their apology that they gave at the end of the se- uh, season le- or the beginning of the season. You see the apologies that they went to. Uh, they went. They went to the bottom of their hearts to pull out. They weren't. They weren't up upset that they,
2: they weren't upset that they did it. They were upset that they got caught. Absolutely. So Fuck I me. mean, I think it's plenty justified that they get absolutely shit on. Oh, and
3: I, I hope wherever they go, every single one of them continue to sit there and be heckled the rest of their career. Yeah. We in my actually- opinion,
2: in my opinion, this guy didn't do the rest of the fans justice. By not name-calling or anything like that, he did, he did it, you know, probably the right Respectively,
3: way. yeah. Yeah, he
2: probably did it the right way. But Depending on uh,
3: what thing it is and how many beers I got in me, God knows what <laughs> could come out of my mouth.
2: Yeah, it's definitely not the worst the Astros could have got it.
3: What yeah.
0: we could do, though, is take Jose Altuve and hammer him into the ground and put a golf ball on top of him and just see off. Right now.
3: <laughs> I'd take a three-wood off his head.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, talking golf, we got to talk about the Masters coming up. So that starts Thursday, November 12th, right around the corner, hosted in beautiful Augusta, Georgia. Uh, We'll have no patrons or guests in attendance. And uh, by no surprise, Bryson DeChambeau is heavily favored to walk away with his first Masters after his dominating performance at the U.S. Open. Uh, Glenn, what are we thinking about the Masters right around the corner this year? Are there any dark horses on the list to win the Masters this year in 2020?
3: I mean, you got you got your big names. You got DeChambeau. You got Rohr. You got Dustin Johnson, John Rahm. I mean, uh, Justin Thomas, Brooks Koepka. I mean, you got all the names. You got young studs like Matthew Wolf, who has one of the weirdest swings I've ever seen in my life. I don't know if you guys ever had a chance to see it. It is one of the most awkward things you'll ever see, but the kid is fucking great. I mean, there's a nice little dark horse. Uh, I mean, you always talk Jordan Spieth. As bad as he's been since his little run, uh, I mean, he his short game's on. That kid's always dangerous. Um, Zach Johnson, another one. I mean, you can never count uh, uh, Zach Johnson. Uh, Bubba Watson's another one. Jason Day. I mean, you got so many guys. Uh, I'm always ruined for my boy Roar. Uh, good Irishman. Uh, love Brooks. I mean, but I can – uh, masters is probably mm-hmm. one of the most exciting uh weekends in golf for me uh had to wait a little bit longer this year uh since it's supposed to be you know around april and uh you know had to wait a little bit longer Uh, But I mean, who could forget Tiger Woods uh, last year? Uh, I mean, one of the greatest uh, Masters that I can remember watching, uh, sitting there, you know, early in the morning, sitting there watching six, seven, eight hours of golf, going to the range, watching, playing. Uh, Masters, always exciting, exciting time. Um, I cannot wait. And then best thing about it, having it in November, nice little turnaround. Six months later, Masters are back. I mean, that too, I, I guess I, I, it would be uh, worth the wait. So I'm very excited for the Masters coming up here.
1: Yeah, well, according to CBS Sports, Rory McIlroy is a favorite for 9-1 to odds. Uh, DeChambeau's not too far from behind him, the 10-1. to Well, I, I, gen, I genuinely think that DeChambeau will win this year because the guy is just having a great season. I mean, he, he looks so good. His drives are unbelievable, man. And, um, you know, my favorite Ricky Fowler, unfortunately, has not been doing good. He's got 40 to 1 odds. It sucks because I love Ricky. He's my favorite golfer. Um, But when you talk about dark horses, I'm going to have to go with Patrick Reed. I think Patrick Reed might upset some people. Um, You know, he's always been, you know, right in the middle of the pack every year. But I think he might uh, break out this year. Could probably come in the top five. But ultimately, I do think it will be between Deshambo and Rory. Um, I'm rooting for either Rory or Ricky because those are my two favorites, but I think it'll be DeChambeau.
2: I'm going with DeChambeau as well. I mean, the guy's 27 years old. Uh, A lot of people have compared him to Tiger Woods in these articles. So, obviously, as we know, one of the greats. Um, Honestly, this dude, if he wasn't a golfer, like if I saw him off the course, I would have thought he's a football player. He's like 250 pounds, and he's like 6'2". The guy's freaking ginormous. I mean – no question about the drives, but there's definitely a lot of studs on going to be on this course, and you know, no stage is too big for Deshambeau. So I'm going to go with him.
0: Yeah. So the the Masters this year um, is probably going to be a really, uh, a really high view. It's going to have a real high view count uh, due to everything being so fucked up this year. I'm thinking the Masters is going to get a lot more draw than it usually does. I mean, you got your your people that consistently watch golf. Uh, year in and year out and watch uh, some of the bigger tournaments, maybe not all of them, but most of the big tournaments. I think this year it's going to have a, a lot of uh, opportunity to bring in new viewers due to whatever, you know, everything that's been happening. Um, so I, I'm, I'm just, I'm excited to see where things go. And it seems like uh, the, the Masters this year is is going to be exciting. I mean, you got a lot of the big name guys going uh, head to head here. So I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. I know Glennie's going to put a bet down for sure. Uh, Wait, who who, who, are, who are we betting on for the Masters this year?
3: Oh, it's, it's a little hard being this far out. You know, just kind of want to see how people are playing. Uh, you got the Houston Open uh, mm-hmm. week before. Uh, know a lot of uh, bigger name players are going to be playing in that. Uh, just kind of see who's going to be playing. Uh, of course, I'm gonna bet my boy Roar. Uh, but there's a couple dark horses in there. Uh, you, you can never count out, you know, Phil Mickelson. I love Phil Mickelson no matter what. He's one of my favorite people to sit there and follow on social media. And I'm not too much of a social media kind of guy, but the guy is hilarious. Little older, he's too good for the Champions League. And hey, maybe he has a showing again at at Augusta. I mean, prestigious course as it is. I mean, played well there. So we'll uh, we'll we'll see. Uh, come uh, closer to the time have a couple uh, nice little 40, 50 to one odds, uh, kind of guys for you, hopefully.
0: So now that we've exhausted golf topics, we need to move on to the last segment of the day, which is a competition that I think everyone's going to get involved with and get real excited for, but we got the doggy style trivia challenge. It's a new segment. We will be talking more and more about it each week. Uh, But we will have a trivia challenge each week for you guys to take uh, part in. Uh, Each week, there will be a five-question trivia game in which I will keep score and the stats of each week's uh, wins and losses. Uh, We will have guests on who will take on the dogs for a title of top dog that week. The teams with the most wins at the end of the season will enter a playoff, which we have not really put together because this is kind of coming together as we go. The playoffs will crown one winner as well as an award for the ultimate top dog trivia challenge. And it will come with a cash prize. If you think you have what it takes to take on the dogs, follow us and DM us at dollar dog Sundays on Twitter and Instagram for a shot at the ultimate trivia title. So the way we're going to play this, guys, is uh, you guys will be given three lifelines on each team, which I should specify the teams today are going to be Kevin and Joe the Glenn. It's a, it's a little bit of a handicap match, uh, but that's okay. Um, the way the game will be played is there will be three lifelines. You can have phone a friend, which I will give you a minute to call a friend and get an answer as fast as possible. If the minute expires and you don't have an answer, then your phone or friend is, is over. Uh, there will be a multiple choice uh, lifeline in which I will give you guys four answers with one being correct. None of these questions are originally multiple choice. It gives you the opportunity to have a 25% shot at getting the answer right. I will also give one more lifeline, which is the question swap. So as we go on the one team who doesn't get the answer first or doesn't get the question first in the first round, will receive the question first in the second round. The reason why is because obviously the person with the first question will know what question they're getting and have the opportunity to do a question swap. Swapping your current question with your opponent's question, which gives them a little time to think about what the question answer is gonna be, uh, could possibly give you an easier question uh, receiving your opponent's question. Uh, You will be able to raw dog the other team after a wrong answer. Watch your profanity. Which is basically a steal. Uh, Steal their question to receive bonus points. So I mean, you guys pretty much got the idea of what we're doing here. I, I mean, what are, what are we thinking today? What are, what is what is the prediction of the score today?
2: Uh, me and Joey win out. Come on now.
3: Oh shit, shutout! Wow, 40, be confident.
1: Bears forty-two, backers negative three.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we gotta be confident. Beautiful. We got to four. That's beautiful. Get it
3: going. I think it's gonna be a, a nice, uh, hard-fought battle. Hopefully, uh, you know, prevail this two-on-one ambush we got going here. And fight off two uh, two young studs here.
2: The workload will be on Joey for sure. So.
0: <laughs> the, win- the winner will have the opportunity to have a 30-second se- um, victory speech, and that speech can be about whatever you guys want to do, whether you want to plug something, whether you want to say some dumb shit, whatever it may be. You guys will have 30 seconds to say what you need to say. Question number one. This one will be for Kevin and Joe Glennie. You will not want to answer this one. You have, a, you, have, you have 30 seconds to answer. The category is movies. These three movies all have one actor in common. Who stars in each of the following movies? Mad Max, Venom, and The Revenant. Your time starts now. I got it. I need it. a final answer. Let's one say, way. yeah,
1: what is that guy's name? I got it. Tom Hardy, final answer. Yep.
0: And that is, that question is right. Number one point there. What? Bro, what are you talking about, man? My first time. So Joey and Kevin with one point on the board.
2: Let's go. I
3: don't know if I would have got that one.
0: I'll I'll edit this stuff up. Have
2: you seen that one movie with him in it where he's uh, the two uh, British gangsters?
1: Legend, yeah. Yeah,
0: that's so good, man.
1: Tom Hardy's my favorite one of my favorite actors of all time.
2: That's so
0: good, man. And now the score is Joey and Kevin 1, Glennie 0. Glennie, your question. Also in the movies category... These three movies all have one actor in common. Who stars in each of the following movies Spider Man, Finding Nemo, and Platoon? Your time starts now.
3: And Platoon. Oh. I got it. Oh my God. What the, uh, William Defoe?
0: Is that your final answer? Yeah. And that question <laughs> is, that answer is correct. I I was just like who
3: else could be in pl- Platoon? <laughs> and awful. Okay. I was like, Charlie Sheen, fucking I was like, who, I can't remember who the fuck Jake Taylor is in fucking uh was it uh major
0: league. So William Defoe played the Green Goblin in Spider Man. He also played Gil in Finding Nemo and was one of the sergeants in Platoon. I cannot remember his exact name, but
3: Finding Nemo got me for the loop. That's what Finding
0: I was, Nemo was supposed to get you in the loop. <laughs> So, Glennie, you will be the first question in round number two, which category is NBA. This player just won his second NBA title in L.A. this season while averaging only 2.8 points per game. In his 15th season in the league, who is he? Oh, wow. And you have can, your can, lifelines.
3: Can you, can you uh, repeat that one more time?
0: Yes, and then I have to start the time. This player yeah. just won his second NBA title in L.A., this season while averaging only 2.8 points per game in his 15th season in the league who is he uh clock starts now you still have your lifelines as well
3: yeah i'll, I'll use a, a lifeline
0: okay time will stop what lifeline would you like to use what
3: uh let's uh, let's uh, swap questions is that swap one swap questions yes you like to swap the questions yes
0: so, Glennie is losing his swap question.
3: Joe, I think I got it. I, I had a guess, but I wasn't very confident in it.
0: Okay. So, that question will be handed off to you guys after Glennie gets his second question, which you also have the opportunity to steal if he does not get it correct. This player lost in his first ever appearance in the finals while also being a topic of injury discussion early in the series. This 34 year old Sylvanian All Star. For the Heat continues to age like fine wine. Who is he? Clock starts now.
3: Yeah, I just, I don't <laughs> fucking guess. <laughs> I watched the zero NBA Finals because LeBron wasn't in, in it. <laughs> was not giving him the ratings. You can I use your.
0: No, you can use your multiple choice. Uh, no, I won't,
3: I won't. I I waste it give them both. Let's see if they could get either of them. I got. I don't even have a guess. <laughs> it's not Jimmy Butler.
0: <laughs> no, it's not. So for, for the raw dog. Watch your profanity. Kevin, Joe, same question. I don't know about
2: that his, one. I don't this know. This
0: player lost in his first ever appearance in the finals while also being a topic of injury discussion early in the series. This 34-year-old Slovenian All-Star for the Heat continues to age like fine wine. Who is he? 15 seconds on the clock. The Doncic?
2: No. You talking about Doncic? Luca, he's on the Mavericks.
0: Oh
1: shit! Well, they go there. And he's like
0: five. Mind. He's like my age too. Four. I don't,
2: three,
1: I don't. I don't know. Two.
0: One. This player was Goran Dragic.
1: Oh wow! I was close. <laughs> Pretty close to the name. Yeah.
0: yeah. I've definitely heard that name. Has he been in the league that long? Very long time. He's a uh, he's a long time uh, veteran. I did not know that. I yeah, he he, got all right. First. Now, the same question that Glennie received in the first round, you guys will get, or the first half of this round, you guys will get, and that question is, I will repeat it once, and the clock will start for 30 seconds. This player just won his second NBA title in L.A. this season while averaging only 2.8 points per game. In his 15th season in the league, who is he? Is it Dwight Howard? Is it Dwight Howard, Joe?
1: I'd go with Dwight Howard.
2: You want to go with that? I think he's he's been in the league a long time. I know he didn't get a lot of minutes.
1: Yeah, I uh, know.
2: But I'm trying to think if he's won a championship before that. Do you know?
1: I don't think so. I think the Magic were in it but lost.
2: Ten well, seconds.
1: I don't know if it could be him because he said second championship.
0: Five, four, I'd go three. With uh, let's Two. just go with him, Dwight One. Howard. Dwight Howard, final answer. Yep. <laughs> The correct answer was J.R. Smith. Oh okay. oh,
2: okay.
1: Okay. There goes our knowledge about the NBA, listeners. And none of us are that versatile.
2: <laughs> I forgot, no, I forgot J.R. Smith <laughs> follows LeBron, wherever he goes. <laughs>
0: the score continues to be one-to-one. And now these, the third question in the third category will be NFL. Joey and Kevin, you guys had the first question. What bear was crowned Super Bowl MVP in Super Bowl Twenty? The conscience now.
1: Richard Dent, final answer.
3: And,
0: and that is Mickey the ben correct ben answer. The
1: suspense. <laughs>
0: yes, Richard Dent is the correct answer. I knew
3: Plenty. Well, let's see. <laughs> the,
0: the, the next question is also in the NFL category. In 1977, this Bears Great won his first MVP title, or won the first MVP title, excuse me, since Sid Luckman in 1943. Who is he?
3: Your time starts now. Payton. Walter Payton.
0: Is that your final answer? Yep. What kind of question is that? And that is correct. What? Walter Payton. It's like common sense. They were terrible hey, in the 7 not They, can't, they, can't, they can't, always be, can't always be real hard questions. They got to be decent questions. Oh, well, geez. We're talking about so- Slovenia. You didn't know who the Panthers. Super Bowl MVP
3: was? I would have said what? Dickie Dent. Would you have accepted Yes. Disney.
0: I will have. All right, Glenny, you, because uh, you had the score is two to two, by the way, because you had the second question in round three, you will receive the first question in round four. So the fourth round category is WWE slash WWF. Question number four, Glenny, for you Who won the very first Royal Rumble? Oh, hey there. That's Brian. Uh, we decided to skip this question because the answer that was given was actually correct as opposed to the answer that I found online. So we will be skipping this question. The answer was Jim Hacksaw Duggan. Neither team was awarded points. Enjoy the rest of the show. The second question of this category for Joe and Kevin, who won the first ever Hell in a Cell?
2: That would be the, or un- er,
0: you have all three of your lifelines oh, remaining. Shit. I think it was Shawn Michaels.
2: I think it was Shawn Michaels because it was between Undertaker and Shawn Michaels and then Kane came in and like beat the shit out of the Undertaker. So I think Shawn Michaels won even though he got his ass kicked.
1: I think Triple H might have helped him win. I kind of want to do a multiple choice on this though. No, I
2: remember the first Hell in a Cell. Kane was introduced and came in and like, beat the shit out of Undertaker. I, we can do a multiple choice just because we need we, – we Yeah, let's use it. In. We have three
1: lifelines.
0: Okay, it. your clock stops. You will have sec- seven seconds after I give these multiple choice answers. Your multiple choice answers are Shawn Michaels, The Undertaker, Mankind, or Bret Hart. Your clock starts again now. I think it's Shawn Michaels. Yeah, I'll, I'll Five seconds. That.
1: I'll go to Shawn Michaels. Because
0: then somebody dragged Two, him on one. to Undertaker. I need a answer. final
1: answer. Shawn Michaels' final answer.
0: Let's go. And that Let's answer is correct. Shawn Michaels was the first ever victor in a Hell in a Cell match. Let's go. And, Kevin, you actually did say it exactly the way it happened. Kane did come in and assist Shawn Michaels in his victory.
2: We know our shit. We got him on DVD.
0: so now the score is three to two glenny you're down by one in the handicap match you kind of had the odds against you to start with but you uh will receive the first or the second question joey and kevin will receive one more category last category here and this category is things found on your desk uh which i thought was a toss-up and i thought it would be an interesting last category kevin and joe you guys received the first question these small pieces of paper were invented in the early 70s before taking off of the new name in 1980, becoming one of the most popular ways to write notes. What is this object? The posted note. Is that your final answer? I
2: don't know. That's what I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Joey, well, is reason. that your final
1: answer? Repeat that question because that was a mouthful. Sure. It's I cannot the stop most the time. Popular
2: way to take these notes.
1: Small pieces the of paper
0: notes. were invented in the early 70s before taking off with a new name in 1980. Becoming one of the most popular ways to write notes. What is this supply or object? It's gotta yeah, be the post it notes.
1: notes. I think they used to be called clip notes or something. Is that your final answer? Yeah, post-it notes.
3: Let's go. And
0: that answer is also
3: correct. Didn't Lenny, I said post-it note earlier too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Lenny, uh, I think you've ultimately lost this game, but <laughs> we are going to give you the last question just for shits and gigs. What do you say?
3: Well, I mean, we could try. it. I, I, I don't, never really worked at a desk, but we can Plus, we this could is also for
0: boosting stats. I'm going to keep up it. points each Let's team. Pad gets. the
3: stats. Pad the stats I'm down, but I'm passing still in the fourth quarter.
0: So the uh, the time will start as soon as I read the question here. In eighteen seventy nine, you wouldn't see these much larger versions of paper binding mechanisms on your desk. These were initially used for large presses in order to connect multiple pieces of paper, of paper industrially. This popular office supply has now become handheld and even has a store named after it. What is this item? Your time Staples.
3: Up. <laughs> Staples. Final answer? Yep. <phone rings> That was so easy. One of our distributors.
0: (laughs) Or distributed to that network. The (laughs) final score of the first annual the first annual or should I say first weekly? First weekly. First weekly Doggy Style Trivia Challenge goes to joey and kevin joey and kevin you now have 30 seconds to say whatever you want your it's your victory speech and glennie and i will stay quiet during well i
1: like to thank my uh imaginary girlfriend my future unborn child and uh that's all kevin
2: i i joe said it best i don't know i i like to think, i like to think my family you know it's an honor doing this with you guys it's really fun thank you for having me on here everybody needs to subscribe and like if you don't then you know you're not cool
1: shout out to local 63
2: shit yeah
0: so i mean i i don't know it's it's an interesting subject or an interesting uh segment i will get better at it as we go on I, i'm gonna try to get a little more organized and see if i can get something up uh, on youtube so you guys are able to see the kind of uh disaster that that was uh, as far as sports knowledge goes we will get I, i'm gonna have to have you guys like do research beforehand i'm gonna have to give you the categories no questions and see if you guys can get
1: better at it but
0: uh i thought the uh i thought i thought the first round of that went well if you guys think that you guys can beat the three of these uh the three of these uh jabronis you guys should dm the uh accounts and and let us know if you want in because There's going to be a lot of fun that ensues in cash prize at the end of this thing. So again, uh, go to dollar dog Sundays on Twitter and Instagram, DM us, follow us, DM us and let us know that you're interested and we'll get you guys on the show uh, on a weekly basis. We're going to get new people on and and see if you guys can take us on, but that's going to be it for episode one of season two, boys. It was a blast. Uh, A lot of editing on my part here. I'm going to have to do a lot of shit, Um, but you know what? We'll get better at it. And it's going to be, uh, it's going to get better and better as we go. But, uh, again, season two is just starting and, and just beginning. I'm nothing but excited for it. But, uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Dollar Dog Sunday. Subscribe anywhere you can get podcasts. Leave us a review and let us know what you want to hear the dogs discuss every Sunday. Another day, another Dollar Dog Sunday.